0: This week on Listen with the Lights On, we bring you our second live podcast panel from the Old English Pub in Albany, New York. We talk local legends and lore with the original Albany Ghost Tour and even ask the audience for some of their own stories. Let's begin.
1: I'd like to start by saying that it's mid October. It's going to be 90, 89, no, 79 on Sunday, but it's still mid October. The leaves are changing. There's a chill in the air today, which is awesome. Uh, but nonetheless, regardless of how it feels like it's still summer, uh, it's the time of year when the legends come alive for all of us. And it's a very exciting time when supposedly the veil between the worlds of the living and the dead is at its thinnest. And that also means that it's the perfect time to do a live taping of Listen With The Lights On. So, that said, I'm Jessica Blaustein Marshall, and there's my co-host down there, Patrick Garrett. Yes. Yes.
0: And uh, joining us today are some of the frequent guests that we have to the podcast. Uh, They're the co-creators of the original Albany Ghost Tour, Maeve McEnany-Johnson and Paul Nooney.
2: Hello. they're clapping. That's good.
0: (laughs) very nice. They are experts on local lore and have told us some great stories on previous episodes, such as Hattie the Hitchhiker, the Ghost of Tenbrook Mansion, the strange supernatural occurrences at RPI's West Hall, just to name a few. And in the next hour, we're going to hear from them tell more stories that are new to the podcast.
1: They are listen with the lights on OGs, if you will. <laughs> but before we start, we want to thank Mark Grayton and Chloe Houlihan uh, for making it possible to have this event here. We love it here. We've done it before, and it's just the perfect place for it. It's the second oldest building in Albany, right. and it's called the oldest building. Um, and it has legends and stories of its own, which are really exciting, so...
0: Uh, We're going to start with a few stories and some discussion with Maeve and Paul, but then we want to hear from you. Uh, Do you have any local legends, lore, or experiences that you'd like to share with On The Pop? Uh, When it's time, we'll invite you up to come up to the mic and tell us
1: yours. Yes. Please, feel free to come up. (laughs) All right. So let's get started. Maeve and Paul, welcome back to the podcast. We are so happy to have you. Thank you, Jessica. Thanks for having us. Um, so, without further ado, let's talk about the ghosts. Um, let's start... You want to start with the gully story? Sure. Yeah. We'll okay. Go. Let's start from... Let's start with the Lincoln Park gully.
3: Take it away. Okay. So, uh, this is a story. Uh, so... It actually dates back to 1626, the Lincoln Park Gully, Uh, and some of you, if you kind of Google and you look around, you uh, might have seen this story pop up. Uh, But at Lincoln Park, around Lincoln Park, uh, was actually the beaver kill. So there was a little creek that ran through, and towards the end of the creek, where if you went to present-day Delaware Avenue, you'd get Buttermilk Falls. Now. The story goes that there was uh, Native American tribes that were at war. It was the Mohawks and uh, the Mohicans, and they were at war. So the Fort Orange was, and actually, just so you know, we are right outside the stockade line. Uh, The original stockade for Fort Orange is pretty much one building over that line there. Uh, And Buttermilk Falls would have been about a mile outside of uh, the stockade wall on that end. So this is obviously not doing very well for this fur-trading community, for the Dutch to have these really bloody battles. So it was advantageous for uh, the uh, the Mohicans and the Dutch, combined together, decided that they were going to try to take care of this Mohawk problem. So they are going along the creek. They think they're going to get the jump on the Mohawks. It was a small group of about six Dutch people, and uh, they they don't say how many of the the Native Americans were there, but it was a small group. Well, all of a sudden, they get to Buttermilk Falls, and the Mohawks get the jump on them. And it's a really, uh, it's a massacre. It's a really, really bloody battle. I... There's a part of me that wonders. Uh, the story was written in uh, the 1900s in uh, Kyler Reynolds' uh, Albany Chronicles. Uh, so, but it was bloody enough that he addresses cannibalism, uh, dismemberment, uh, that supposedly the body parts of uh, the Dutch uh, were taken as trophies. It's, it's not a very pleasant story. But they buried the, the bodies there at the foot of Buttermilk Falls. Now, if you kind of look anecdotally, because, you know, you try to track these things down, and I don't tell this story very often. One, because it's gross. (laughs) Two, uh, uh, the other thing is that I hear about these shadow people that uh, you'll see online as people report looking down at Lincoln Park, which is where Buttermilk Falls would have been, and there's a gully, the Lincoln Park gully, that's kind of an abandoned, sort of icky place. And the stories are vague in terms of like, well, I see shadow people, I see these figures running, but then they disappear. Or I've gone to the gully and I feel like somebody's watching me, but I turn around and there's nobody there. But we didn't really tell that story much because there wasn't anything substantial until... (laughs) A few weeks ago, Uh, I have a a friend of mine, and some of you may know him. His name is uh, Matt Millette, and he runs the website Albany Archives. And he is an excellent historian, and it also turns out a bit of a ghost enthusiast. So he says to me, He goes, I got a story for you. I got a good ghost story for you. He says, My cousin works at the Albany school that is on the hill that overlooks Lincoln Park, a little elementary school. And he goes, Yeah, he goes, She says, uh, that's haunted. That's a haunted building. And he's thinking, that was built in 1952. Like, what's, there's nothing there. No way. She goes, oh, no, 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 no. It actually first happened to her friend. Uh, It was another teacher. And when she was there and she'd close up her classroom and it didn't matter if it was in the daytime or in the nighttime, but a shadow person would appear. A tall man, striking figure. He didn't feel intimidating, he didn't seem threatening, but she didn't really like it. She just sort of ignored him. And that figure would periodically visit her in the classroom. Well, that teacher left, and Matt's cousin, sure enough, she's in her classroom, and who should appear but the shadow man. And the she is less tolerant of the shadow man than her co-worker, and the shadow man came to her a few more times, and she finally turns to him and says... I'm not her. She doesn't work here anymore. You know, please leave me alone. And she said he did. She didn't see the shadow man again, but she did some investigation, and the custodians have reported that they have also seen this tall, shadowy figure walking at night in the classrooms. Now, I don't know what it was because I desperately wanted, as Matt was telling me the story, to interrupt him. To ask for descriptions. All of this. But I something stopped me and I let him tell the story uninterrupted from start to finish. That's a big deal for me. And so he says with this big like, nerdy grin, because he's in a story and he goes, Buttermilk Falls. The massacre at Lincoln Park. And I went, yep. So it's really interesting and, and it's something that we're going to be looking into is all, and we Googled, there's all these little anecdotal stories on message boards, you know. but I'm trying to find that lore, that, that book. As you can see, we have our books here that mentions the shadow people, but right now it's all people like you who are coming and reporting this. So it's sort of interesting. Yeah. Yeah
1: gives you chills that it does give you chills yeah. I did not know I did not know what you were going what story you were going to tell I didn't know that that was part of it
3: yeah it's our first time ever telling it so. that's really yeah. exciting
1: yeah. thank you for telling it yeah. um, it's a debut. my question is and you said that you don't tell it often because it's gross and you know cannibalism and all that stuff yeah. but like if it was something that was so gruesome and so like uh, visceral how come it hasn't been more told you know, like how come? And and more people haven't witnessed things, because usually when something that horrible happens, there there tends to be a bigger impression. Is that it, fair it, to say?
2: It', it true, but it, it actually, if you've ever been to, and not, I I haven't been there, but I've seen pictures of the actual site itself, mm-hmm. and it's kind of secluded. It's you know you have if you've been to Lincoln Park in Albany, it's a large. There's a playing field, there's a swimming pool. And then this area of the park is supposed to be tucked away in like a back corner, so it's not a place that people go all the time. So I, I'm, I'm assuming it, if it was a more mainstream part of the park, it might be something that you would, because like you say, it's a, it was a very traumatic event that happened there, and usually. And that's one of the things that can trigger ghost sightings is, is traumatic events. So Indeed. it could just be that people are in, not in the right place to actually see it. So
3: yeah. It's also a tricky story, too, because how much of it was fueled by racism, right? Uh, that's the other yes. thing, too, that, that I always find it very tricky as well, is how much of it uh, were people, you know, using Native people um, yep. and, and demonizing them. So it's a really... Uh, it's it's a tricky story I think yep. to to unpack.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, Buttermilk fall, fall sounds so idyllic, doesn't it? It
3: does, and, I, and it it was apparently that yeah. the beaver it it actually looked like buttermilk from well, what I've read. It, it, from what I understand,
2: it, it, that part of that in more recent times. I thought that correct me if I'm wrong here, babe, that got that nickname because of all the breweries that used to dump the beer into the, into the, <laughs> well, into the stream seriously, that was the brewery district.
3: Eventually that happened, yeah. yes.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> uh, that the Hinkle Brewery, which uh, my center square friends may know it's now as apartments, uh, yeah. that the Hinkle brewery would dump the suds and things uh, into what they would call Beaver Park before it became yeah. Lincoln Park.
1: Now, the concept of the shadow person or the shadow people, that comes up a lot in legends and lore. Uh, you know, where else have you encountered that? Have you encountered that in other stories?
2: Um, we've heard of those that, the, the people that we work with, the Tri-City New York Paranormal Society, um, they have their base of operations at Tenbrock Mansion and they've reported here seeing shadow people at the mansion, uh, both in the gardens in the backyard. Um, Gary, who's the, the leader of the group, said he was sitting out during an investigation one night in the back gardens, and um, he was there with a, one of his fellow investigators, and they were sitting there, and they, he saw a shadow figure move through the other side of the garden, and both of them kind of had this reaction, if I remember this story correctly, both of them had this reaction that they looked at each other, and they both said, did, did, you, just, did you just see that? Because like they didn't want to believe that they just saw a shadow figure walking mm-hmm. outside it was a trick through the, of the backyard. Light. <laughs> In, exactly, and then they said, "But they both, did, oh yeah, we both did see that." So, uh, and and he told another shadow figure story recently. Where were they at the palace, right?
3: So uh, the palace theater. Uh, that's. The Palace Theater is an, uh, an interesting theater. It's, you know, 1930s. It was an old movie house. And this is another, you know, these urban legends where where's the documentation? The only thing we've ever heard that could have happened in the Palace Theater, that somebody, and a lot of times the story is a child, fell over the edge, which I have never seen any documentation. I don't know if that's just a story that's passed on. So people always want the palace to be haunted. And I just sort of said, sorry, you know, I, I don't have a <laughs> Story there, But we just, uh, with the palace cooperation, of course, Tri-City New York Paranormal Society uh, did go in and investigate the palace theater. They're going to be doing a private event. And you can go on their Facebook page. The only thing we've seen so far, so maybe by the time this airs we might get more reveals, it's just like, oh my gosh, shadow people, orbs. All They said uh-huh. it's very haunted, so we'll see. But there was this really sort of... Um, haunting image. I don't know about haunted, but uh, I went with them to sort of case the joint, I guess, before the investigation, and we went up to the balcony, and behind the balcony, uh, it's just basically where the old projector was when they show movies, Uh, and it's, there's another, it's a strange uh, space, I'll admit that, but mostly industrial, and along the walls, are handprints these just very faded very light handprints in this very narrow hallway now what it is is dirt i mean it really is these stage hands who over the course of the years have steadied themselves as they've gone down the stairs and uh, the gentleman who was bringing us around he says yeah we know it's kind of gross but it's kind of our history And, and so many of these handprints have appeared on this very Simple wall, they can't bring themselves to like Windex and, and scrub them. But at the same time, they were they look like ghost handprints. They're very eerie and very strange. Hmm.
1: Well, that actually brings up a good segue <laughs> into theater ghosts. Yes. We're actually uh, our podcast. We're actually looking into different theaters around the area and you know okay. finding about all their legends. And I mean, theaters are places where a lot of drama happens, whether it's forced drama or real drama. You know, whether it's like, you know, an actress who's kind of a diva or, you know, something happens on stage that's very, you know, emotional.
0: Well, if there's any theater people here, they would know that a lot of people are suspicious.
1: Superstitious, <laughs> they're, they're superstitious. Right? Yeah.
0: They're, they don't, there's a lot of things you have to do in order to make sure the production goes through fully.
1: Yeah, theaters are very good at confluences of that superstition and that drama and, and where the twain shall meet creates some really interesting stories from theaters. And I know we've investigated and you've investigated one particular one. Do you want to talk about uh, Coho's Music Hall?
3: You can do that. I can do All right. Uh, so Caho's Music Hall is, although I do have some representation from Cap Rep, but maybe we can battle this out. But from what I know, well, we have no, yeah.
1: we have no particular allegiances. We have
3: no allegiances, <laughs> but as it stands right now, Cahoe's Music Hall uh, might be the most haunted theater in Albany. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely. Hands down. And these theater people keep the, the very much to the old traditions. Uh, but the spirit that's said to inhabit uh, inhabit there is Ava and Tenguay. I say? It? Yep. Eva I believe Tengue. so. Yeah. Ava yeah, A- Tenguay. Yeah. And uh, she was this fantastic, over the top vaudevillian actress who was obsessed with immortality. Uh, so she would do these. She was in. She'd be in Cahoes and she would do. In the paper, you'd see these over-the-top things, over-the-top affairs, and you would find out that, really, she was the one leaking these stories to the newspaper because she did not want to disappear into obscurity. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I understand that her she did, unfortunately, die in poverty, but it seems that she was a little reluctant to take that final bow because Cahoe's Music Hall. Considers her their resident spirit. And they take it very, very seriously. Uh, you have to leave a rose before every performance, maybe even a little chocolate, a little treat for her. And there are multiple reports of theaters uh, or com- theater companies not adhering to that. And things will go wrong. Things will go absolutely wrong if you don't honor. Ava, uh, they and they, they keep to some of those classic traditions such as a ghost light. I don't know if you
2: want. Yeah, to... Oh, the ghost light is yeah. um, pretty much every theater on earth. I'd be willing to bet mm-hmm. has this tradition of um, We talked to a...
1: Proctors as well. They have a ghost Proctors, light. Proctor's, light. Cap, Cap
2: Rep Cap probably has one. Um, even I, I work at RPI and the RPI Playhouse has one that they keep on stage. Um, but it's the idea of keeping a light on even when the theater is closed to. And, there's a lot of versions of why they do this, but it's to appease the spirits who are there at night. You know, The spirits may not come out during the day when there's a show or whatnot, but when the audience goes home and the workers go home, the, theaters co- the or the spirits come out to play in the theater and they keep a light on for them. Because um, the
0: theater is always alive, right? That's right. Literally, yeah. And, and, and,
2: and um, you, you brought up Proctor's, actually. There's some really, really good ghost stories that come out of Proctor's Theater in Schenectady. Um, yes. There's a and and I like that a lot. Some of theirs are based in animals. They actually believe that they have a dog that haunts the theater, um, and they said that they've actually had situations where, um, in the middle of a show, patrons who are watching the show will storm to the back of the theater and go to an usher. How dare you let that person in there with their dog? And they come down to the thing. There's what are you talking about? There's no dog here. Um, So they actually believe they have a dog that haunts the theater. Um, and I believe there's a lion, There's too. a lion. There's a lion that was believed to... and If I remember this story correctly... I know I keep saying that, but sorry. Um, but it was a lion that was in a show mm-hmm. back, you know, probably in the 1920s or 1930s, and it had escaped during the show, and they had to, to shoot it. And now that lion haunts the theater. Yes. Um, and they believe... And there's... The, the, my favorite story, though, out of Proctor's is that... Um, there's a chair somewhere in the building. I believe it's in storage in the basement they said that belonged to FF Proctor, who is the, the the namesake of the theater and the, the builder. And that chair will not collect dust. Ooh. So it sits down there in this in the, you know and it doesn't collect dust and there's nothing they no matter what they do. Everything else does Everything else does. does. Yeah. And and they actually have his old apartment still sealed off in the upstairs part of the theater. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a neat story and there there's stories out of there about tunnels running under the building that led out to to like to Scotia and to the Glen Sanders mansion area oh, because yeah. that's how the 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 um the, coloni- the the people that lived within the stockade got around to avoid the native americans and there's there's all kinds of legend and lore that surround that theater.
1: You know, it's interesting. That's good PR for ghost chairs, you know? Like everybody wants a <laughs> table or a chair or something that doesn't that collect doesn't dust because it you don't that's have to right. do anything about it, right? <laughs> But yes, if you are if you are a subscriber to the podcast, if you're interested in the podcast, we actually have several episodes upcoming about local theaters, and we touch on some of the things that you guys just talked about. Oh, so, cool. really, really fascinating stuff. And the, regarding the Eva Tanguay story, um, I don't know if you had in your research had come across this, but allegedly she had had a relationship with the mayor of With the, of the mayor Cahos, of Cahos, yes, and that's why you know maybe one of many reasons why she still hangs out there perhaps looking for her lost love or didn't want to leave him or something like that
3: so there's a little romantic angle to it as there's well there's the blog all over albany and they do their bootleggers bad boys and broads tour and they did that one of their trips they went to coho's and they went to the coho's music theater and they they all had a tasting of some kind but they stood on the stage and they toasted to ava you know, so it's it, she is a romantic uh, romantic figure and probably one of our most famous spirits.
1: It's very befitting of, of you know, the theater and, and actresses. Yep. It yeah. just seems so right. Um, so, yeah, so the theater stories, we'll, we'll have those
3: coming up soon, so stay tuned. We already have and one. And just for fun, but... I want to find out uh, how... Oh, did I just cut you off? I'm sorry. No, no worries. No. Okay. Okay. Uh, how many? So I know we have some theater people in the audience. And what is the Shakespeare play you are not allowed to say in the theater?
2: Be careful! This is kind of a theater right now. Yeah.
3: <laughs> right. Think we yeah. Have, yeah. Macbeth. Macbeth. Oh, yes. Yeah, you are not allowed, and it's a very, very serious tradition in the theaters. Any theater, you never say Macbeth in a theater. It Maybe cr- if a
2: light drops on my head right now, I'm going to be yeah. very excited. <laughs> what about, about that?
3: <laughs> what if you're actually if you're doing? You know,
2: it's you do have a loud play. <laughs>
3: It, it, it's allowed if you're in the show. Okay. Because uh, I'm pretty sure they say that name they say, they say a million, million times.
1: The, yeah. the
2: Scottish
3: play, but, though. You say, but if it's you're thought not that the, the witching yeah. incantations uh, that Shakespeare took real ones and he cursed the play. And if you do it, depending on your theater's tradition, you can lift the curse. Uh, you're thrown out of the theater. It, depending again, you either have to spit swear or recite a line from Shakespeare. Uh, some really brutal theater companies I know make you run around the whole theater like three times before you're invited back in. Interesting. Um, so Maeve,
2: I Maeve, have you ever said um, Macbeth in a theater?
3: Sure have. <laughs> and what happened? Uh, a light fell and almost cracked open my friend's head. Um, so I, that's one that I don't, I don't subscribe <laughs> why to. why I'm not subscribe now. Don't mess right around now. with that. Yeah, don't mess around with it. Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: I was just gonna say, I thought you would just keep trying to wash your hands for like way too long.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The line, the Shakespeare line that I always go to is, "I bite my thumb, but not a thief, sir." (laughs) So if you're ever in that situation, just say that. Just remember that that line. Yes. Um, So there's a couple more stories that you have up your sleeves. You want to share with us?
2: Sure. one of, my, one, of my, one of the oldest stories, I think, that we tell is, is rooted right here in downtown Albany. Um, and it's the story of Boz the Baker. Uh, it dates back to 1655. Um, and Boz was a Dutch baker. His, his real name was, oh boy, I think it's Jorik van...
3: Volkart Piet- Vol- 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 Pieter-
2: van Petersen van- in Amsterdam. Yeah. That's pretty much the most Dutch name you can have. Um, <laughs> and his bakery was on Maiden Lane, which if you're familiar with downtown Albany... We're on Broadway here. If you followed Broadway uh, south for about four blocks, Maiden Lane would be on the right-hand side. Um, and Boz was famous for his St. Nicholas Day cookies. Um, St. Nicholas Day was, for all intents and purposes, the, pr- the predecessor to Christmas. It was the Dutch holiday where St. Nicholas brought toys to all the good boys and girls. Um I shouldn't say predecessor. It's still a holiday in the, in the Netherlands, I believe. So. Um, it's December so, 6th, right? December 6th, correct. Okay. Um, so Boz had his bakery on, on uh, Maiden Lane. And one day, an old woman came into the bakery and walked up to the counter and said, and I'm going to attempt to do my best witch impression here, says, Boz, I would like a baker's dozen of your St. Nicholas Day cookies. And the thing was, in sixteen fifty five Boz had never heard of the term a baker's dozen because it didn't exist. so he said, what you know what are you talking about?" He probably said it in some other t- terms, but he he was confused, and <laughs> she said, I, "I want a baker's dozen of your St Nicholas Day cookies and he he again e- expressed that he didn't know what she was talking about um, so he he she said. Oh, so he he gave her a dozen cookies, twelve cookies, and she said If you cannot give me a baker's dozen, then I put a curse on your bakery. So, you know, Boz took it in stride and passed it off as just an old crazy woman that was coming into his bakery. Well, 1655 and 1656 was not the best year for Boz and his bakery. Um, His (laughs) oven exploded. The women that he had hired to help make the cookies all developed boils on their hands. And there was a, what was the third thing that happened?
3: A rat
1: infestation. A rat
2: infestation. Yes. So that
1: is unfortunate. What's
2: unfortunate? So, Boz, needless to say, was very frustrated. His business was going down the tubes because his oven, you know, his oven wasn't working. So, he um, got down on his knees and he prayed to Saint Saint, uh, Saint Nicholas and said, Saint Nicholas, what do I do? How can I how can I break this curse? And I'll pose it to you. What do you think he told her to do? Give her, 13 give her an extra cookie. That's right. St. <laughs> Nicholas spoke to him and said, give her an extra cookie. So soon after that, the woman reappeared oh, goodness, and, said, and once again said, Boz, I would like a baker's dozen of your St. Nicholas Day cookies. And this time he counted them out. 1, two, three, four, five, seven, nine, 11, 12, 13. She said, thank you. She walked out and business went back to normal. And that not only was a ghost story, but it is the what we believe is the origins of why a baker's dozen is 13 and not 12, and it stems from Boz's vision at his bakery on Maiden Lane.
1: Interesting. right here And now and I'm all.
2: hungry for a cookie. I'm I know, right? I was really
1: thinking about whoever, whoever gave the right answer to your question would get a cookie, so you get a cookie. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> a theoretical cookie. Really, of she course. just
2: wanted a free cookie. It was like, yeah. buy 12, get one free. And
1: now, was- historically... You know, and I haven't done much research on this end, but this is just something that I've heard. Um, the Baker's dozen may have also originated from a governor who was interested in reaping more tax
3: benefits. Is that There's sort of also, semi-accurate? If, if you go <laughs> on the the very academic Wikipedia.org. Uh, very exclusive yeah but uh, if you look up a baker's dozen there is multiple origin stories but you know that's the fun about an urban legend right. is right. everybody owns it and that's our version so uh, it's the correct one so it's, the, it's correct the correct one a few years ago there was a, a picture book uh, that an Albany author wrote many many years ago uh, about the baker's dozen and that was a resurgence uh, for a little while so, interesting yeah interesting
1: Governor Stuyvesant I think was the name that <laughs> yes. came up um, I love that story that's like a really fun christmas story it too. we've we, we repurposed
3: area. that a lot on our tours whether we do a holiday we use it and, <laughs> and there's also a great um i have a, a niece now she's 13 but she's been going on the ghost tours so she's a little girl uh, and she corrected me one time on a tour because there is an <laughs> alternate version uh where and she said tell that one and in front of a crowd of people and as the And as the witch, you know, gets her thirteenth cookie and she is pleased, and she exits the bakery under the witch cloak, there's a flash of red, of Saint Nicholas's cloak. So there is an alternate that he was the one, and it was a, and it was a lesson. (laughs) Yeah, it was a lesson about uh, don't be selfish, you know. So yeah,
1: there's always a lesson. There's always a lesson. Or
2: ask ask for something free when you don't get what you want.
3: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Early Yelp reviews. That's right.
1: I know, in this day and age, it really yeah. translates, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so we got a few more, right? You have a couple more? And then we'll invite whoever wants yeah. to come up and tell their
3: own stories to come up. Um, so one thing is I've been... Uh, I was lucky enough to go to uh, the Netherlands in June, uh, which was very cool. And if you've anyone who's ever been to the Netherlands and you're walking around Amsterdam, it, it looks like Albany. Uh, you can see where these Dutch, when they came over, 1624 is when they built Fort Orange. And... You can see that they built homes that they knew. So talking about some of these ghost stories, uh, I'm like, well, are there any connections to our Dutch roots? And I know if you listen to the podcast, we talk about Tenbrook Mansion in The Woman in White, and how the Woman in White who has been seen for generations in the mansion. But as we all know, every almost you know every city has a Woman in White. These sort of waifish women, either like, you know, looking out windows longingly, or like a Hattie the Hitchhiker or something. Uh, but, I was like, well, what about, you know, other cultures? And every culture seems to have a woman in white, and what, you you had an idea of how to say it in Dutch.
2: Uh, I, in, in Dutch, we believe it's uh, vit Wieven.
3: So, so, if there's anybody actually yes. Dutch here, I'm sorry. Yes, I really He's, apologize. But, yes. but she's, she's a woman in white, but she's almost... She has almost more connections uh, to, like, as we were talking, we kept making jokes about Banshees earlier. She does have this sort of fae-like fairy quality where uh, she's, they call them like a wise woman, basically, that they're these wise women, this elfish woman who has treasure, right? Like, a lot of times they have treasure. And they morphed it into when, like, you're in Holland and you're looking out at the fog, and they would say, there's the wise woman, there they are, is that they'd be there. And if you were brave enough to go into the fog, you might be able to track down that treasure. And I wonder how much of these women in white stories that we have in America come from our European ancestors, yep. come from, you know, the 10 brooks in their house telling, they probably were telling their own ghost stories. And I'm sure they also talked about these women, these wise women in the fog, it's pretty neat.
1: Yeah. Now. What's the difference between the women in white and the women in black?
3: Ah. Is there a difference? There's I mean, other than, you know...
2: I was going to say the color?
3: Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, de- depends, actually. Uh, uh, morning, so a lot of times... I mean, then you get into the shadow people as well. Yes. But uh, morning clothes, that's always a big one. Uh, again, with the Banshees, I think sometimes they can be seen... But, again, it depends on your storyteller, and we've talked about that a lot on the podcast. Whoever your storyteller is, whatever their agenda is, and, you know, it can change. But, um, but yeah, sometimes the, the women in white and the women in black can be sort of interchangeable. But what I've seen, usually the woman in black is, like, near a mourning coach or following a funeral procession or something well, like that. Or in a
1: theater.
2: Or I was going yeah. to say, it could even be a, a good versus evil thing. Yeah. The woman in white was always... a. Uh, a happy spirit where the woman in black was a was an evil spirit or something. Right. good witch are you a good witch or good a bad, witch, witch? bad witch
1: the witch of the east or the west
2: right. no wait
1: they were both bad right they were
2: both yeah. bad okay. yes it's the glinda was the witch of the north. Yes. just glinda the good witch
1: glinda the good witch. Right.
2: <laughs> oh do we want another story
1: yeah we have time for one or two more stories and right. then we'll open it up to anybody else
2: sure um all right, I'll t- I like the- This is another one of my favorite. This is a local story that um, is kind of a, a legend and lore, but it actually doesn't. It's a local story because it has local roots or local connections, but the actual story takes place in Scotland. Uh, and it dates back to 1758, um, where um, there was a gentleman by the name of Duncan Campbell, Major Duncan Campbell. And Maeve, I'm going to ask for your help a little bit on this story. Do you remember where in Scotland this was?
3: Uh, no, Highlands of Scotland. Highlands of Scotland. The Highlands
2: of okay. Scotland. Um And one I'm getting night,
3: Outlander, visions of Outlander. <laughs> um, if you're thinking Outlander, that's absolutely yeah.
2: right. Yeah. 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 So, um, Duncan Campbell was at home one night uh, in his in his home. It was a uh, from what uh, this is again another one of those ghost story things. It, it, I think it always starts. It was a dark and stormy night. So it was a gloomy night. He was sitting at home, um, and I'm, I don't want to do this on the table because I don't want to shake the mic from there. We go. <laughs> People downstairs are like, what's going on upstairs? Um, and he heard a knock on the door. It's a ghost. And he heard a knock on the door, and when he went to answer the door, there was a man at the door, very frantic, covered in blood, and he, he said, um, please, sir, please, you need to give me shelter, you need to give me sanctuary. I just killed a man in a bar fight. So Duncan, really, really not knowing what to do, but being a, a compassionate person decided to, to take the man in to give him shelter am I telling this right so far? okay good <laughs> um, and so the, he, he put the man up in a room and I believe it was in the basement of his home he put the man up in a room um, and then went back to to what he was doing several minutes later he heard another knock on the door and at that point, he went back to the door, and at the door was a policeman. And the policeman said, Duncan, we have some, some very sad news r- to report to you. Your brother... Donald. Your brother Donald was just killed in a bar fight. Oh. So at that point, Duncan's blood ran cold, because he realized that he was now harboring his own brother's killer in his house. Ooh. When Duncan went to confront the man, the man was gone. That night, Duncan was asleep in bed, obviously riddled with grief as to what he had done. He let let his brother's killer escape. And when he woke up in the middle of the night, there was a vision at the foot of his bed, and it was his brother, Donald. And Donald um, said to him, Duncan, you must avenge my killing and Dun- Duncan said, I'm, I'm sorry brother I, I can't do that, I don't know where the man is I don't know where, where, where he's gone he said, Duncan you must avenge my murder and Duncan said, brother I'm sorry I can't, I don't know how he said, very well then we will meet again at Ticonderoga now Duncan had no idea what that meant, he had never heard of Ticonderoga so flash forward several years and duncan is drafted into the black watch which was the the scot part of the scottish military during the, which war? the during the and during the french and indian war his regiment is dispatched and guess where they're sent ticonderoga, ticonderoga. that's right <laughs> And unfortunately, that was really good. Thank you, everybody. Um,
1: you get a cookie. You get, you a, get cookie. a cookie. Everybody get gets a, a cookie.
2: cookie. It's like Oprah.
1: We gotta bring cookies. Mixed Look under time. your
2: seat. There's a free cookie. No, I'm kidding. Um, anyway, back to the story. I, I just totally just, just derailed a very serious story. Um, so Duncan is sent to Ticonderoga, and he is killed in battle in Ticonderoga. Now, if you don't believe me, you can head up. To Hudson Falls uh,
3: Fort Edward Fort
2: Edward, sorry I knew it was a two-name <laughs> word You can head up to Fort Edward And go into Union Cemetery Which is somewhere near the downtown area of Fort Edward And you will find the grave of Duncan Campbell Whose demise was met years before by his brother After he refused to avenge his killer Ooh.
3: And the interesting thing is that story was made popular by Robert Louis Stevenson uh, He was the one who, who popularized that in, into America
2: yeah.
1: Just uh, 2 hours up the north way, less than Not 2 either. hours. Not Not like, an like an hour, hour, and, hour and, half and a half up half the north, up the way? north yeah. way. Yeah. Interesting. That's a fascinating story. I mean, the French and Indian War seems to be um, the origin of a lot of legends around mm-hmm. here. A lot of a lot of the stories come out of that era and that sort of historical.
2: And that might go back again to what Maeve was saying earlier with yeah. it was painted to make one one party or the other look
1: right. bad. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. It was all PR. <laughs> mm-hmm all publicity um so yeah so does anybody want to come up and share their own stories oh, have, oh. all right oh, come we, on yeah. up. we'll have um patrick yeah you turn around yeah. please introduce yourself and share
4: your story uh hello uh, my name is maggie mantinelli cahill i'm the artistic director at Capital rep in Albany. And, um, we did not
2: plant her here, by the way, no, to tell the story. They, she showed up no, on her own. no,
4: I have to say that, no, I, my confession is that I am a huge fan of Maeve McEnany. I think she is a fabulous educator, and um, and I only wish she worked for me, <laughs> which she knows. Uh, but um, I, 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 I love ghost stories. I've often contemplated on. On, on writing a play about Albany ghost stories because, the, and, and I mean Albany, I mean the area ghost stories because we are so rich with ghost stories. But I say that because we actually have a ghost at Capitol Rep, and um, what yeah. a coincidence! <laughs> yes, what a coincidence, right? <laughs> and I didn't know that we would have a chance to tell our own ghost stories So uh, you know, so forgive me. But okay, so here's our ghost story. Um, I, I've been at Capitol Rep for 20 years. I came when I was a mere child, and, uh, what? that's why I look so good. Uh, yes. And since we're on the radio, everyone should, you know, realize I'm telling the truth. Um, at any rate, we were doing a production of Dr. Faustus. Now, for those of you who are not theater buffs, Dr. Faustus is about a man who sells his soul to the devil, and, uh, and 24 years later, the devil comes and claims his soul. Um, one of the actresses in Dr. Faustus came running into my office very, very upset after a, a performance of Dr. Faustus saying that um, something terrible had happened to her during the show and that she had been over on stage right, this is important, stage right um, of our theater, and she had heard this terrible clanging noise during the show. She was quite concerned that it had, would be heard by the audience, uh, had gone to the stage manager and, who said, what are you talking about? We don't hear anything. She then went back to stage right where she said that a man, she estimated he was six foot three, um, came and stood next to her. And she described this man very specifically to me in a way that I decided I would not reveal ever to anyone because it was so specific I thought she's either crazy or that was a ghost. Either of those propositions is very possible. We're dealing with actors, okay? (laughs) So I just filed that away. Now, flash forward three years later, Larry Linville was playing the part of Ebenezer Scrooge. Now, Larry Linville, many of you may know because he played Colonel, uh, no, Major, Major, what's his name? Major Burns, <laughs> thank you, on uh, MASH. And, um, and Larry Linville was no fool. He, he was an awesome human being, but he was no fool. And he came running to my office very much like the actress and said he had had quite an experience on stage left that while he was waiting to make an entrance as Ebenezer, he thought that a cast member was was next to him. And uh, he described him as a six-foot-three male, and then he described what he was wearing, and it was exactly like the actress from two and a half years earlier. And he said, and I realized when I turned that it was not a person, but it was... What what some some kind of like you describe a shadow person, but that but it was very distinct, and the costuming of the person, what what the person was wearing was very distinctive, and so I I calmed Larry down and said, okay, thank you, Larry, it's not a problem. Larry died, in fact, the next year, and um, he he's just one of those uh, people that I dearly love. He's very close to my heart. So, anyway, I, uh, you know, Capital Rep has, has financial issues. <coughs> and uh, <laughs> I used to be writing grants very late at night at Capital Rep. I'm trying to make this story short by oh, saying that I was often at Capital Rep after midnight writing grants alone. And one night I was, it was two o'clock in the morning, I remember this very well, and I heard this in amazingly loud clanging from, yeah, stage right. <laughs> and I, in my, in my concentrated state, I just said, what is our electrician doing clanging pipes over on stage right? Uh, so I went into the theater where we did not have a ghost light. And that was a problem. Oh. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and I, I just found myself on the stage, like groping in the dark, going over to stage right. And this noise was not subtle. This was loud, clanging. And by the way, we don't have any pipes over on stage, right? For those of you who are asking, oh, Maggie, it was probably those old pipes at Capitol Rep. No, there aren't any. There's nothing over there. But I thought our electrician was over in the electrics room clanging something. And then I went, but our electrician isn't here. <laughs> it's 2 a.m. I'm alone. I need to get out of here. <laughs> so I, I left the building. I was, I was very, very afraid. So at any rate, uh, there were there were other uh, 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 not sightings, but there were other feelings in our staff. It was rife enough that one of our staff members said, okay, enough. We're going to get a medium here. We're going to cleanse the place. We're going to find out what is at the root of the ghost. I had never revealed what both people told me, how tall the ghost was and what the ghost was wearing, nor have I revealed it to you. Um, So what happened was we hired this medium and and everybody paid the medium, and I was very skeptical. I was like, "Yeah, this guy's gonna come, and he's gonna do the sage bid around the stage." And you know, at any rate, of course, the guy came, and he seemed very normal and very nice. And we all sat in a circle on our stage. There were twenty-two people there, and suddenly he goes, "Ma'am, what is your name?" And I said, oh, uh, me." And he goes, yes, because there's a figure in front of you that wants to communicate with you. And I said, <laughs> that's, that's not true. <laughs> and he said, well, all right, but I there is a figure, and the figure wants you to know some things. One, this is a happy place. And before it was a theater, it was a, a place where there were children on Sundays and he taught children, and he wants you to know this. Well, P.S., it turns out that where Capital Rep now is, there was a Dutch church, by the way. And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe he looked it up, you know, who knows, right? And I'm like, "Uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then he said to me, the figure wants you to know that he's friendly, that he would like you to put a light on in the theater, and I said, yeah, okay, and he goes, the figure is six foot three. The figure is dressed in a long frock coat with a wide brimmed black hat. That description, ladies and gentlemen, was exactly what was described to me by our actress and two and a half years later by Larry Linville. So I said thank you. I'm very happy to know that, and I want you to know that at Capital Rep, we plug a ghost line in <laughs> every night on yeah. our stage, and I haven't seen the ghost again. Thank you. Oh, thank wow,
1: you. That, was, that was some major chills when you yeah. Were there. yeah. Oh, you you
2: got, got the chills. Hit the hit yeah. Hit the
1: end oh yeah thank you for sharing that really but welcome.
3: what will be interesting now that we've heard the story it'll be recorded but let's say when people start telling ghost stories 20 years from now it'll be interesting how that story even though we have it from the source will morph right. from somebody telling it and somebody telling it and,
2: and so yeah. and one of, one of the things I think that's interesting about that is that it's we often think like only old houses can be haunted or only mm-hmm. old buildings can be haunted Cap how, how, how old is that theater update date to? It,
4: it was built like
2: Nineteen sixty-eight. So not exactly. So a lot of times, the haunting and the, and the stories we hear come from previous mm-hmm. buildings or previous things that were, you know, were, were happening in a land. So
3: like the school we mentioned with the uh, buttermilk falls.
2: Exactly, exactly.
3: And then, but then you also get the flip side of that in
1: some stories where things have been demolished and the activity seems to have disappeared. so yep. There's, it's not. A, there's no hard and fast rules. I don't. Right. Do think. No.
2: It, I mean, they say spirits will go where they're. Yeah. Where they want to go. It's not like they don't have walls to confine them.
1: Yeah. Um, does anybody else have a story they'd yeah. like to share? Oh, okay. look, we got, uh, oh, we got two. Oh. Please tell us your name and then okay. feel free to launch your
5: story. Um, okay, hi. Mike. Can you hear me now? Yep. Yeah. Um, my name is Megan Roosh and I grew up. Um, Oh, I okay. can. I grew up on uh, on Route Nine, on Cherry Tree Number Four, Cherry Tree Lane oh, oh, yeah. Road. Uh, does oh. This oh. anyone know the story? Oh, yes.
3: Oh. Hi. So I'm. the Sorry. First. <laughs> I got This really is like there. this is like paranormal celebrity. Yes.
5: You use my loud voice. Oh, like yes, this? There please. Go. There you go. <laughs> oh, my friends are in the corner. They're like, tone it down. Okay, so really quickly, like I said, this could go on and on, but the short version is um, um, in Ford's Theater when Lincoln got shot, um, Henry um, R. Rathborn and Clara Harris were in Ford's Theater, and when Lincoln got shot, some of Lincoln's um, blood got on Clara Harris's dress. Long story she gets in, you know, back then it was horse and buggy. So they're traveling through um, Albany. And it was called Latin Cottage at the time, the house I grew up in. It was called Latin Cottage. And she was traveling through and she stayed there and left the dress with the blood. And it got bricked up when they moved it from Route 9. They moved it up the hill a little bit. And um, it got bricked up, the, the dress of the blood, Claire Harris's dress. And supposedly the ghost of Lincoln and Claire Harris are in the house. Now, I personally experienced a few things. When we first moved in, I was really um, young. I was only like seven or eight when we moved in the house. And my mom said that a table kind of slid across the room, and the rocking chair was a silhouette of Lincoln, you know, with the top hat, and she could see the beard. And it just kind of showed up and then disappeared. Um, and then my sister um, jumped out the third window because she said that she was kind of sleepwalking, but she said that someone told her to come outside in the backyard. So she got up in the windows in this house, didn't have any screens. It's those old, I mean, it was built in, I think, 18, am I right, 1865? Something like that. I don't remember like the Early date, that, but, yeah. yeah. And she jumped out, the, when she was 13, she jumped out the window, but... It's a miracle. She landed and she only broke her leg from that high oh my up. Oh God! Wow. And that's it. So those—that's that's pretty much the story. But yeah. I mean, I could go on, but that's—if you look it up, you could probably oh, yeah. just type in for Cherry Tree Road, Latonville, New York, and you'll type in like Lincoln House, whatever, and Claire yeah. Harris, and you can read the whole story because it goes on and on. I do—I do kind of believe it. And one more quick thing—that um, oh—that happened to me that I didn't say. So it was a snowy day. I didn't have school. It was just my mom and I. I'm the youngest of five kids. So um, I'm the youngest, and it's all quiet, and it's snowing. And my mom was upstairs, and I was just downstairs in the kitchen. And in the middle hallway, I heard my name, Megan. And it wasn't eerie. It was just like, Megan? And I thought it was my mom. And I said, yeah. And she looked. She came down, and we both looked at each other. And she goes, I didn't say anything. And I said, you didn't? But I, I never was afraid in this house. It was so... Homey, even though it had some connection of scary—well, not yeah. real scary, yeah. but you know things. Do you
1: think it was Abraham Lincoln, the ghost of oh. Abraham Lincoln, that called your name?
5: That's cool. I don't know. <laughs> I wonder, means, but it was a woman's voice. Oh, okay. so yeah, well, it he, could have been Clara and, Harris. Well, as, sure. do you do, it's like, do you know? Where's my dress? No. Do you know the
2: rest of her sto- Their story—the <laughs> uh, yes. that they that he wound up going insane. And he murdered and, her. And he moved, and he yeah. murdered her. They moved he to Germany, and he Clara murdered Harris. her. Clara Harris. Yes. yes,
5: that's the rest. That, I, that's why I could go on and on. It goes on and on. Yeah. So, yeah, that's yep. it in a nutshell. But I did love growing up in that house. It was Thanks. it was a great neighborhood. So oh, that's my
3: circle. Here's my card. I hope you call me. <laughs>
5: yes. <laughs> Please. Uh, we tell that story on our tour. We would love to now. And you
3: would love to have me be there to say I
6: was so <laughs>
5: yes. Thank that's you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed this. No, thank you for thank sharing you. that. That's awesome. Oh,
3: wow. yeah.
2: We're getting all kinds of first-hand material tonight. I, I love this. That's
3: why I was excited. No, that's, yeah, that's great. Amazing. Thank you. That is like the Ryan Gosling of haunted houses <laughs> in Albany. So that's why you saw all four like of us. We oh, <gasps> like starstruck. <What>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, it's a great. Oh, it's oh one, yeah. It's uh, a really and there's great a book called uh, Henry and Clara if, uh, yeah. that you can get as well. And
2: can I can I can I feed off that real quick and just because he, he he actually Lincoln haunts this part of the city too. His when he um when he died, his funeral train came through Albany. There's actually, if if you come to the old English pub, there's a there's a um, I'm pointing in the wrong direction. And when you leave tonight, there's a a whole like history plaque right outside the visitor center, right across the the alley here. Um, But it is said that his funeral train um, still haunts the downtown area, in the area behind what is SUNY Central Plaza now, uh, because that used to be the train tracks. And um, when his funeral train made a stop in Albany, they say, um, and it actually they say his the train haunts. All cities along the along the funeral train route between Washington and Illinois, um, but yeah. So he, that, the the house in Loudonville, he's he's here in downtown Albany. Lincoln is all over the place, yeah. and you you may not know this anecdotal fact, but um, Lincoln when Lincoln was still running for president and campaigning, he made a stop here in Albany to oh, do so a campaign. it
3: was campaign. after he was elected. It was his oh, oh, inauguration.
2: Oh, his oh, inauguration. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. So he was he was giving a speech here in, in Albany. And another famous man in Lincoln's history uh, encountered him for the first time. That man's name was John Wilkes Booth. He was in Albany doing a play, and he came to the the, um, the rally, I guess you could say. And when Lincoln was leaving the stage...
3: And there's a local there's a, there's lore, a, that, local that, lore that, that Booth may have been in the, in the crowd, and he leapt toward him. And he him, lunged at him. And they grabbed oh, yeah. him, and he said, oh, no, oh, no, no, I, I, tripped. Just, I just tripped.
2: But the, lo- the lore is that this Albany was the first time Booth and Lincoln ever had an encounter. So
1: that's chill-inducing. Yes, it really I, is.
2: I also want to shamelessly plug our own podcast
0: because <laughs> we we have covered uh, the Loudon Cottage, one of our very first episodes.
1: Yeah, we, it was one of our first. We talked all about yeah.
0: that. And I, I love that we have now. You're a celebrity. Of
1: yeah. it. it comes full circle. <laughs> will you
2: sign? Will you sign this for me?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Did you want yeah, to yeah, tell your story? Please up, come yeah. up.
2: Ooh, it's not dusty either.
1: <laughs> I'm telling you, they could really make an industry out Seriously, of that. Seriously,
2: anti-dust.
6: <laughs> First of all, Paul, I don't mean to start this off with any unpleasantness, but I just wanted to let you know, Glinda is only the good witch of the North in the movie. Uh, oh, since wow. L. Frank Baum is kind of a local boy from Chittenango, New York, I <laughs> just wanted to set the record straight. She oh, is she... the good witch of the South. I appreciate oh. that. Thank you. But yeah, uh, we had a lot of good uh, theater ghost stories earlier, and uh, I believe at one point Maeve said that you are safe from ghosts if you use the word Macbeth. So long no, as opposite. you are, so no. long as you are in the play Macbeth. I think you said it was okay to use that word.
3: Uh, in some cases, but there are uh, productions of Macbeth that have been known to be cursed. Yes,
6: you. let let me tell you, ghosts are very good at finding a loophole. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was in a production of Macbeth over at Homemade Theatre a number of years ago, and some of the actors were a little bit, you know, cocky about using that word. You know, they were like, oh, it's fine if I can say Macbeth. I'm in Macbeth. I can say Macbeth all I want. Macbeth, Macbeth, well, really, Macbeth. Yeah. No, I'm really, are no, really using no, you that word a lot tonight, and I'm
2: still sitting under a
6: light. How much Shakespeare do you have
1: to recite if you said it that many times? <laughs> uh,
6: well, Shakespeare, you know, he, he didn't really write for the edit. He kind of repeated himself a lot, but this... Uh, Guy was getting so involved in saying the word Macbeth that he threw his hand up and shattered this full length mirror standing right next to him. <laughs> so, bravo to you, ghosts. You found a loophole and you brought the bad luck to us in the production. <laughs> in one form or another, because maybe it was the mirror, but that production was uh, stricken with woes. It was a lot of illnesses. The young Macduff was in a car accident. Oh Everybody got. You know, speeding tickets. I mean, it's Avenue of the Pines, so that happens anyway. But <laughs> uh, that is, uh, if you if you taunt the ghosts, they will find a way to come after you. They they're not as tied up in the rules as we would like them to be. <laughs>
1: well, isn't isn't sort of one of the messages of Macbeth that pride is not a <laughs> sure. you know you better check your pride? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what was your? Well, I'm sorry. What was your name?
6: Uh, my name is uh, Steve Hettle. Ah,
1: great. Thank yeah. you for or sharing. Or just
6: Steve. I don't know. You know what? You have my name. It's too late. It's too late. You can Facebook me. But the other, uh, the other story I have to say, I'm actually uh, president of a local community theater, and we perform out of the Masonic Temple, which is on uh, Corning Place. And that is, in fact, the oldest operational Masonic property in the United States. Uh, tying into the French and Indian theme, it was founded by British soldiers here in America for the French and Indian War. And uh, they left it behind as they fled during the American Revolution. And uh, there's a number of different lodges that meet in the temple. It's, I won't talk too much about it because, you know, the Masons are very good to lend us the space, but it's a very, uh, it's a very wonderful historic uh, place to perform out of. If anyone has the time, I recommend they check out the temple. But uh, it being both a Masonic hall and a theater... It is definitely like a nexus for weird stuff happening. One of my favorite stories, um, the temple has this old-time elevator. It is uh, crank-handled. You pull back to go up. You push forward to go down. And the Masons will tell you that it was installed there for Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Uh, Not exactly sure of the authenticity of that claim, but uh, that's what they say. And... It used to be operated by a friend of ours who was very close to the theater. His name was Carl. And Carl had been with the temple a number of years and he'd seen some really strange things. Uh, He's kind of the night guy. He is in the temple, you know, he's usually the last person to leave. And he was locking up one night, everything, you know, turning off all of the lights. It gets to the fourth floor, which is where our theater space is. And he hears a noise around the corner, which is kind of where they keep all of the Masonic, uh, you know, props and costumes. And he goes to investigate, and he doesn't see anything there. And he goes back to the elevator, and he starts to hear what sounds like a soft voice. And he turns around, and there's nothing there. So he's about to take his first step into the elevator when he hears clear as a bell this woman's voice that says stop. And he turns around, and there's no one there. But he looks in front of him, and the elevator that he had walked out of, apparently someone from another floor had uh, taken it, because it was an empty elevator shaft that he was about to
2: step into. Wow.
6: (laughs) Wow.
2: (laughs) And Maeve, I will say, um, I met someone recently who, as a member of that Masonic temple, and they invited us to come and do an investigation there. So it may be a future episode, could be at the Albany.
1: Watch Sorry, though people. when you're getting on the elevator.
3: And if like. you want to see that building, uh, it's right behind City Hall in Albany, appropriately on Lodge Street. So if you're walking around Albany, it's building. not just a coincidence. It's not just a coincidence, uh, but it's right behind City Hall.
6: Cool. Oh. Uh, 2 p.m. Goes.
2: Just don't say Macbeth while you're in the theater. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Avoid you, that Steve. topic. Um, all right, well, thank you so much. We got to wrap it up. So uh, Patrick, take it away.
0: All right, so ready for some generic podcast (laughs) ends. Thank you for joining us to this live taping of Listen With The Lights On. Also, we'd like to thank Paul Noody and Maeve McEnany-Johnson for joining us, as well as the Old English Pub for having us today.
1: If you are not already subscribed to the podcast, uh, you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever your podcast app of choice is these days, because there's a lot of them. Um, you can also read more about each episode that we have on wamcpodcasts.org. We have a little blurb and some pictures of the places that we go and we do the people that we do interviews with. Um, so that's a really ex- a little extra if you're listening. And we'll have not a not one soon. <laughs> yes. So um, if you want to
0: hear more about the dog, <laughs>
1: yes, or the lion, the lion, the lion. as well. Um, and you can also hear um, this taping as well. There. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. We are lights on podcast. And you could also email us if you have any stories that you think of after the fact or, you know, you, you have a question about the show at lightson at wamc.org.
0: And if so you have a story we haven't even heard of, none of us have heard of, we'd love to yep. look into it, investigate it a little bit if you have one. And if I
2: can make a quick plug, we invite you to like the original Albany Ghost Tour on Facebook, follow us for our latest events, and... Cool. Woo. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank great. you.